Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Well, good morning, True North. My name, good morning. My name is Bobby, and I am one of the pastors here. Welcome to church this morning, and a very special welcome to you if this is your first time joining us. You are joining us at the tail end of our summer message series, Battle of the Bands. Um, Have you guys been enjoying this series thus far? Have you? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think it's been pretty good, and I think, you know, we've had some very different types of music, and uh, I think there's been a little bit of something for everyone. Maybe we haven't hit on your specific uh, genre of music or a specific song you like, but it's been, it's been pretty different and pretty varied. And I think it's true that every generation feels that their era of music was the best, right? Would you agree that like your era of music was the best? Like everything before was okay and everything after really stinks, but um, you know, what you were into in high school and college and when you discovered music, like that was the best era of music. And I I think that's true for most people. It's definitely true for me. Um, the, The era of music we're gonna talk about this morning is my era of music. I do feel it is the best. Um, and it's, it's my hope this morning not that I will convince you by any means that, that this era of music is the best, even though I feel that way. I know you would probably feel differently, but my hope is that maybe by the end of this sermon you have a little bit of appreciation for what I consider to be the best era of music, but more importantly than that, right, my hope is that you would hear from God this morning, that uh, Jesus would come through this message and speak to you, yes? So, um... That being said, where are my Gen Xers at? Where's my Generation X? Where are you? I got, I got like three. I, listen, I know I'm not the only 40-something in this church, but it's all right. The rest of you are quiet. You're being contrarian. Classic Gen X. Like, I'm not going to admit to that. Like, sh- I won't do what you tell me, right? So I, 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 know, <laughs> I know that you're out there. Um, so we're, we're going to be talking about the 90s. Again, we did touch on this uh, several weeks ago. Kathleen did a message on Tori Amos, who was a 90s artist. But I really want to drill down to a specific style of music that I believe defined the era of the 90s. And that music is grunge. Is anybody familiar with grunge music and what that is? Yes, okay, good, yes, some fans out there. So in case you're not aware, okay, grunge was a sound that started uh, in Seattle in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, It's a form of rock music that incorporated elements of metal and punk, and it's where it kind of got the name. But more importantly, that name grunge was actually formed because of the appearance of the artists, right? They dressed kind of untidy. There was no presentation, there was no teased up hair, there was none of that stuff. It was just throw on a t-shirt and some jeans and get up and play. And, and that's where the term grunge kind of came from because the scene just kind of opened up and people were just kind of real about how they were dressing. Now, how many of you out there have a friend, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe now, who's constantly like, they're like your music hookup. Like, they're your music dealer. Like, they're always introducing you to new music or saying, hey, listen to this. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're an audiophile and you're, you're constantly listening to new stuff and trying to share it with your friends and get people to listen to it. When I was in high school, uh, that was my buddy Keith. 
Uh, Keith and I, when, when I was in ninth grade, I got a guitar, and I used to ride my bike to his house with my amp, and he was playing guitar for a while. He'd teach me how to play, like, Metallica riffs and things like that. And um, in his room, actually, which I'll never forget, his whole room was plastered um, with album covers. Do you remember that, like, CDs used to come in cardboard boxes? when they first came out, like long cardboard boxes. They stopped that very quickly, but he used to have them all plastered on his walls. It was like the coolest thing. I remember being so impressed um, when I was a kid. So um, it is September of 1991. I'm a junior in high school. Uh, school is just starting up, and we're a couple weeks into the semester, and I am sitting in health class at the back of the class. Class is just about to start, and my buddy Keith walks into the room, and he makes a beeline right towards my desk, and he just drops a copy of Nirvana's Nevermind on my desk. And he leans over, I'll never forget it. He leans over and he says, go home and listen to this tonight. Like with this intensity in his eyes. And I'm like, okay, all right, man, the album art's a little weird, but yeah, I'll go, I'll go home and I'll check it out. And he leans over again, he goes, no, man. He's like, go home and listen to this tonight and report back to me tomorrow right? Like my, like my life was in danger. And you know what? My life was a little bit in danger because my preteen years and my teen years, I was raised in the late 80s, early 90s, and just one time in, in, in the Christian church when the whole satanic panic was happening. Do you remember this, right? Where the devil was in everything from cartoons to toys to video games to cereal. Like he was just everywhere, and especially in music. So there had been several occasions where my parents had found my Metallica albums, and they would make me smash them with a hammer. And I was like, oh, like, please, like, I had to work four hours at Taco Bell to buy this thing, right? And I'm just going to go have to buy it again anyway, so what are we doing here? Now, um, I don't hold that against my parents whatsoever. They were really, you know, doing the best they could with the information that they had at the time. Kids out there, have some grace for your parents. They're not always going to get it right. They're going to have some regrets, but you guys get it wrong most of the time, so, right, it all kind of balances out, right? But have some, have some grace for them. So anyway, I went home. I went home and I listened to that album. And I must, have listened to, I must have listened to that album like 10 times in a row that night. I was just, I was blown away. The music was just, it was raw and it was real and there was something about it that just, just got a hold of me and it set me on this musical journey. And you have to understand that from September of 91 through to October of 91, some, some major albums hit the scene all at once. You had Nirvana's Nevermind, you had Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger, and you had Pearl Jam's 10, all within 90 days of each other. Grunge music hit the rock scene and a shockwave went forth that just blew all the teased up hair and makeup off of everybody, <laughs> right? And I know, this is hard. 80s kids, it's a little hard, but this is a, it was a good thing. Believe me, music got real and it got raw. So this morning, we're gonna be taking a look at literally my favorite song of all time. Um, bold statement, I know, but it's actually my favorite, I can say that, my favorite song of all time by one of my favorite bands of all time, and that song is Release by Pearl Jam off of their debut album, 10. And we're going to listen to the song actually in its, in its entirety, okay? Um, but I, I need to kind of explain this song a little bit. Can you imagine for a second what it would be like to be told that the man who you knew as your father 
was actually not your father. You see, this was Eddie Vedder's experience and what he wrote the song from. For 13 years, Eddie Vedder was raised by a man who he believed to be his father. And at 13, he was told the man who was his father actually was not his father, was his stepfather. And his real father had recently passed away. And Eddie wrote this song release about a father that he never knew. Imagine what that must have feel, felt like. The tension, this, this ghost of a man who you never knew and never will know having a hold of you. Um, so we're going to play actually a clip. And it is a clip of a live concert of Pearl Jam performing this song at Wrigley Field in 2016. And it is a beautiful clip. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I hope that it draws you in. Um, and there's, there's a real subtle interaction with a member of the audience as well, if you catch it. If we could uh, roll that clip, please. Is there a guy named John in the front? Where's John? just want to point out someone here in front, because he was the first guy in line two days ago. Four days ago. And he wanted to be in front for this song because it meant a lot to him and he's just gone through some stuff and we're going to help him out and we're going to...
clip, right? Do you feel the electric in that room? Do you feel, right, everyone in that crowd just singing out? I hope this doesn't sound too blasphemous for church, but if you've ever been in a concert like that where everybody's just kind of rallied around a song and, and, and screaming out the lyrics and feeling the emotion of the song, it can almost be like a religious experience, can it? Have you ever felt that? Yeah. And I think that's, that's really the heart of this sermon series, right? It's, it's seeing God through the things in our lives and, and having a, a lens by which we see these things through. Um, you've probably heard me say this at nauseum, um, and, and when we do these series, it just always comes to mind, but you know, one of my favorite quotes is by C.S. Lewis, who is a theologian and author, and he said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else, right? When you listen to that song, I guarantee that you felt something, that you saw it through a lens, unless you're just completely dead inside and have no feelings. I mean, how could you not, right? Um, you, you, you saw that song through, through something that you felt had a grip on you, that you wanted to be released from. Now, when I was a kid, this song, it meant different things at different times. When I was a teenager in high school, I mean, it was, it was stuff that seems silly now, but was so big at the time. Right, the breakup of a, a girlfriend that I had for a month in high school, right? I'd blast this song, just like, I just want to be released from all this feeling. Arguments with my parents, right, who I believe know nothing at the time, right? But, but I, would, I would blast this song and just be like, oh, just release me from this, this whole thing. But as, as I've grown and I've become an adult and, and my faith has grown, this song has meant something much different to me. Do you know what, what I think about now when I, when I hear these lyrics? I think about my sin. I think about the things that have a hold on me that constantly turn me away from God. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a similar struggle that I think we can all relate to. Uh, in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. 
That shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. This is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of my life that when I want to do what is right, inevitably I do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that struggle and what Paul is trying to, get to, to convey here? And when, when I used to read that verse, I used to think it was an excuse. I used to think it was an excuse for my sin, right? I mean, uh, I guess I'm just gonna have to live with this until I die, right? I'm gonna have to live with this struggle. I mean, if the apostle Paul, if he's feeling this way and he had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, what hope is there for me? But you see, Paul's not giving us an excuse. He's explaining what things were like before Jesus came on the scene, right? He's explaining that simply knowing what not to do isn't enough to stop you from doing it. Right? Knowing what's wrong doesn't automatically stop you from doing it, does it? Think about it. We know that being greedy, that eating too much, that drinking too much, that abusing that drug, that lusting, that looking at pornography, right? that lying when it suits us, we know those things are wrong, but we still do them anyway. We still commit those sins. And what Paul is saying is that the law knowing what's right and wrong, had no power, no power to deliver us from the things that we want to stop doing. What is it that you have in your life that you want to stop, that you hate that you do, that you just wish you could stop doing? Well, Paul doesn't give us an excuse. He gives us an answer. And in Romans 7, 24, he continues, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Another translation of that verse says, Who will release me from this body of death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes? Do you know? Do you know why Jesus is drawn to your sin? Do you know why he's drawn to it? Because he can heal it. Because he's the only one that can. What are you struggling with this morning that you want to just stop doing? What has a hold on you? What do you want to be released from? Jesus is the answer to that question. He died for our sins. And he sent the Holy Spirit so that we could help us to wrestle and deal with these things and actually get victory over them this side of the grave, not just when we die. You see, when you confess your sins, you're forgiven. No matter how many times you fall into the same thing and you confess your sins, God is apt to, to forgive you. That's not what this is about. But you're also not destined to be stuck in your sin. That is not God's plan for your life. I promise you that. Um, in church, not just our church, but many churches, um, as of late, you'll hear a lot about the parable of the lost sheep. 
We know this parable about the 99 and the one. If a shepherd has 100 sheep and one wanders off, he'll go after the one, right? The shepherd will go after the one and leave the 91 to get that sheep, right? And it's this beautiful analogy of Jesus and how he operates, right? That, that, that if, if someone wanders off or there's someone who's lost or there's someone who's in sin, Jesus will leave the 99 righteous, or as the scripture puts it, leave the 99 who do not need to repent to go after the one and seek them out. However, when he gets to the one, Jesus isn't looking to set up camp there. He's not looking to to stay and play in your muck with you. What's he looking to do? He's looking to pick you up and carry you back home. Yes? That's the second part of the equation. He wants to heal you. Now, I need to stress something very important here, and it is very, very important. This is not about performance. This isn't about getting yourself cleaned up for God. This isn't about dealing with all your sin before you could be accepted by God. It's not about performance. God does not operate on performance one bit. He operates by grace, okay? And grace means that God doesn't love you any more when you're doing good, and he doesn't love you any less when you're doing bad, okay? That's grace. That's how God operates. We don't have to look any further than uh, Romans 10, chapter 9, where Paul says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. End of story. End of story. If you believe that Jesus Christ came, was God, and died for your sins, if you believe that, your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. It's not about that, right? We don't have to look any further than the thief on the cross. Remember the thief on the cross? Right? Jesus was crucified. There were two thieves crucified next to him. One was mocking him, and the other looked at him and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me? And Jesus looked at him, and what did he say? He said, I tell you, this day you will be in paradise. Right? Thief on the cross didn't have a chance to perform, to get his act together, to do anything whatsoever. And I am thankful that someone took the time to write that moment in history down. I am ecstatic that the thief on the cross is there. Thank God that the thief on the cross is there. But at the same time, I don't want to be the thief on the cross. I don't aspire to be the thief on the cross. Do you? Most of us in this room, God willing, we have a lot of life left to live, right? We're still drawing breath. Do you want to live your whole life in bondage to these things that you hate doing that you wish you could just stop? Jesus came for victory over sin now, not just after we die. The victory is ours on this side of the grave. We can overcome these things. So now, that begs the question, how? How do I overcome? Bobby, there are things I'm doing that I hate. How do I, how do, what, what can I do to stop these things, right? Um, if you remember last week, uh, Tony gave a, a great message on tears for fears and everybody wants to rule the world. You remember that one? And he talked about temptation, okay? And Jesus was tempted. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted. What we're talking about this morning is the things we fall into when we've given into that temptation. Now, if Jesus is our example, and he is on how to live this Christian life, what did Jesus do before he, tempt, he was tempted? He, he fasted. And now, what is fasting? fasting? Fasting is simply denying your body, your physical body, uh, some form of pleasure so that you're, you're not focused on that and you turn your attention to God. Well, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, and then the devil came and tempted him. And the first thing he tempted him with was what? He tempted him with food. 
And I used to think that, oh my goodness, like it must have been so hard for Jesus for his physical body because he had not eaten for 40 days and the first thing the devil's tempted him with is food. That must have been difficult. No, not whatsoever. It was actually easy for him because that spiritual practice of fasting, it actually heightened his spirit so that he was able to resist those things. Now, I'm not saying you gotta fast for 40 days. I'm not saying that. But this is a practice that the church has done since the beginning of time and the beginning of, of Christianity. You know, take, a, take skip a meal, you know? I mean, 40 days, I, I can't get past a day usually, right? But do something, put something into practice to just put a little buffer in your body between yourself and temptation so that you don't fall into sin. You could give up uh, a TV show, you could give up social media for a bit, and not forever, but just for a time to focus your attention on God. Video games, that's huge for me. Ask me to give up video games for a day, it's almost impossible, right? Um, and then secondly and finally, um, prayer. Connection with God. What has a hold on you this morning? What sin has a hold in your life that you just want to stop doing? You see, unlike Eddie Vedder, who wrote this song, crying out to a father in the dark who is long gone and cannot possibly answer him, unlike Eddie, you have a father that is alive and is just waiting for you to cry out in the darkness to him to help release you from the things that have a hold on you. He wants to come and he wants to help heal you. This is God's plan for your life. So I would challenge you, if you're struggling with something, something's got a hold on you, there's no shame in it. Okay, God is, God is here to forgive you, but some of you have business to do with God this morning and today. So before the end of the day, I would just challenge you, cry out to your Father. Cry out to your Father who's just waiting to hear from you. And at the end of the service, you know, every, every service at the end, we have our prayer team up here. If, if you're feeling like a tug on your heart and you want to talk to somebody and you want to confess something and get over something, please, I mean, come up, right? That's what the church is here for. That's what we're here for. We're here for each other. Get some prayer if that's you. Remember, Jesus is here and he's drawn to your sin because he can heal it, because he's the answer to the problem of sin. Yes? Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you, um, Jesus, for who you are. And thank you for music this morning. Let's just start there, God. Thank you that um, you've given us music to enjoy, Lord, and that even things that maybe weren't written with a specific purpose, Lord, when, when we see things through your lens, through the lens of our belief, Lord, um, it can have a different impact on our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray for each of everyone out there that might be struggling with the sin this morning, that, 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 it, that there's something that they just keep falling into that they hate doing, Lord. I just pray that you would start to move and speak to them and just gently come in and start to heal them, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us for our sins, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a way out of them as well. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. 
If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.